Oh no, that that's that's a great idea. And 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 the reality is everything we talk about on commissioning, yeah, we're we're talking about hydronics in particular, um, and and focusing on a lot of the things you have to do with the hydronic side. But at the end of the day, everything we do from a commissioning perspective applies to any kind of system. You know, commissioning is a systematic process of knowing what's supposed to happen and validating and verifying that it happens. At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal QuickShot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three-in-one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and tomorrow I'm going to pick up some tools they're going to lend me out just so I can do some demonstration on the Yellow Jacket Omni Vacuum Gauge, Vito Pro Pack Tech Pack, I think that's the backpack, and then a Klein Insulated Screwdriver Set, I believe, is the other one. So they're going to be on loan just to do some demo. I'll give them back. They're going to give me three more tools after that to demo. So that, that's pretty cool. In the meantime, guys, check out master.ca for all you Canadian techs from east to west coast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. We're going to get this one done. And it's this is a good one because we haven't talked about something like this on the podcast yet. Tony First from Armstrong is on the podcast. Now, he is the manager of application engineering in the US. And what we're going to talk about here is hydronic commissioning. Now, mainly big systems here, like systems that have chillers, boilers, pumps, and stuff like that. And these these commissioning projects, they're not just going up to the unit, turning it on and, and checking things. It starts way early in the project, like in the in the engineering sort of stage. And there's a commissioning agent involved, there's an engineer, startup techs, and there's a lot of documentation that needs to be done and made and checked over. And this conversation is gonna hit on all of that. So it's a really good topic and something that we, we haven't focused on, but we're gonna get to it now. This is Tony First on the HVAC Know It All Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know It All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Hey, Tony, how are you doing tonight? Gary, I'm doing really, really well. Well, I mean, since you're in Florida and the weather's a lot warmer than here, I would hope so. I mean, I just, I just was chugging through some slushy snow out my driveway about half an hour ago so the snow's starting to melt a little bit because we, we kind of hit um that sort of around that freezing marker just above it today um so it's turning to slush so yeah i uh i lived up north for for a great many years before we came to florida and to be quite honest i don't miss the cold and the snow and everything that goes with it i really have become a true floridian and i enjoy the 95 degree weather when it's here. Yeah. I, when I see, when I see the posts from other texts that are in the, the tropical sort of areas with the palm trees and the ocean in the background, it's like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's like, it's what dreams are made of. But I mean, I'm here, so I'm going to make the best of it. So anyway, you, uh, you're with Armstrong and I think we're going to have a really good discussion here on hydronic commissioning. But before we get into that, I thought I'd maybe get into you a little bit and sort of maybe a little bit of your background, what you do for Armstrong, so on and so forth, and we'll get into the conversation. Okay, great. Well, um, I've been in the HVAC industry uh, as an engineer for over 40 years. Uh, we won't talk about how many over 40, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, and um, I've worked for several major manufacturers. I've worked for a major manufacturer. I've been a consulting engineer where I was their chief forensic engineer. And then several years ago, I came to work for Armstrong Fluid Technology. And now I am um, the manager of the application engineering team for the entire United States. 
manager of application engineering. So what exactly does that entail? Well, with Armstrong, we, we are a pump uh, and hydronics uh, system component manufacturer. So we manufacture pumps, we manufacture uh, controls for hydronic systems. We manufacture all the hydronic specialties, you know, air separators, air and dirt separators, um, balance valves, all of the type of things that you see in a hydronic system for either hot water or chilled water. Uh, we also manufacture booster pumps for domestic water booster systems uh, and uh, expansion tanks and shell and tube heat exchangers, all the kind of things you would see in a normal hydronic system. And so what the application engineering team does is we support all of our representatives, all the sales agents we have throughout the United States, and our team helps them properly select and, and apply our product to different hydronic applications. So if they're working with an engineer and the engineer wants to try to figure out what the most efficient mix of pumps is, whether to run, you know, duty standby pumps. So one pump or the other pump can handle hundred percent of the load. Is it better to use two pumps in parallel and, you know, what's the efficiency look like and what makes the most sense from an operation standpoint? So we help do all of those things. Um, so that's what my whole team does day in and day out every day of the week is help engineers and contractors select the best equipment for their jobs. Gotcha. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I mean, the word sort of implies it. So it's application you're, you're applying what sort of um, pumps and stuff are needed for the job. So that's, that's self-explanatory. So, I mean, your time at Armstrong, I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes through the years and especially now driving towards more of the technology side. How are you, how are you liking that technology based stuff now, rather than the, the older, older clunkier stuff that didn't have the, the bells and whistles that, that we see now. It's really a much different marketplace that we're in today. Um, we're driven more by energy efficiency and improving the energy efficiency of buildings and building systems. You know, way back when, when I started, we were still using pneumatic temperature controls. And uh, I'm old enough when I started college, I used a slide rule. So that kind of gives you an idea how long I've been at this. And today's controls, you know, we no longer have pneumatic controls as the primary control medium, but we've gone to um, digital controls and they're all computer-based. And by having digital controls and internet connected pumps and internet connected equipment, we can actually monitor the equipment in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week and provide analytics on the back end side of it. So we can actually tell an owner how their system has been performing. We can also look at it and know um, one of the cool features that Armstrong has on our pumps that nobody else has is we have built-in vibration monitoring. So if we start to have vibration problems, we can actually send an alarm to an owner um, or to a service company that, hey, your pump's starting to vibrate outside of what its original design parameters were. So you can fix the problem before we reach the point of failure. Yes. You know, as it, you know working in service, you understand Failures never happen Monday through Friday between eight and four. They happen <laughs> yeah. at midnight on Friday night when it's snowing to beat the devil outside and you don't want to go outside and deal with it, but that's when you got to go deal with it. Cause that's when your customer says, I got to have heat in my building or I got to have air conditioning in my building. So having that predictive maintenance to look at things in real time to say, Hey, we're starting to see a problem is better to let you know at eight o'clock on a Monday morning than six o'clock on a Friday night. No, it makes, makes, makes total sense. And I was kind of going through this today. We installed a, or I installed a, an indoor air quality monitor at a customer's site. And I was, I came home today and I was looking at the stats uh, of this on my computer and, and the um, sort of the, on, on the dashboard. And it's very, very cool, the feedback that it gives you. So I'm, I'm a fan of the technology myself. I, I love this stuff. So um, I'm glad you do too. And, and I'm glad there's, there's customers out there and owners out there getting benefits of this stuff. 
Yeah, it's it's really remarkable. We're starting to see a lot more interest from owners about what it can do for their building, how it can help them proactively operate their building and try to minimize downtime. Because at the end of the day, when we start looking at a building and we see equipment go down, it costs owners money. And it's not just the, the cost of the repair. It's the downtime and the inconvenience it causes everybody in the building. Um, Think about, uh, think about a hospital. Okay. Hospitals are kind of unique anyway, but if a hospital loses the cooling that serves their operating suites, um, on average, every operation that they do is somewhere between 75 and $125,000 in revenue. Can you imagine losing 10 or 12 surgeries a day and how much money that costs that hospital with surgeries that they can't do? Now, all of a sudden, you're talking real dollars. So all of a sudden, the maintenance cost isn't such a big deal. And knowing and having the predictive analysis ahead of time, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it make your life easier doing service to be able to call that hospital up and say, hey, I noticed your pump's starting to vibrate a little bit. I should really come in and take a look at that for you. And they say, oh, yeah, my, of course, come in right away. Like, you know, we can't afford to go down. Yeah. So it helps everybody. It helps, the, it helps your customer because they get the predictive analysis. And it helps you because now you're more forward-facing with your customer and talking to them and making sure that their equipment doesn't go down when they don't want it to go down. Yeah, and when you don't want it to go down <laughs> when it's midnight yeah. and it's snowing outside. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, guys, so the HVAC Know-It-All app is live. It's about 2,000 members after a couple of weeks. But one thing I'm noticing is a lot of you that are downloading it are not getting into the groups. They're only, you're only following the official HVAC Know-It-All feed, which is, which is my mug you're going to see all the time. But you want to be involved with everybody. Um, my suggestion is to, to join all the groups because you see all of the, the different aspects of the industry coming through your feed. And there's like 30 to 40 different posts as of now per day that you can get into and, and, and check out and have conversations with people. So get into the groups and follow other techs that provide useful information or that you think you can create a bond with. So I would say about six weeks ago or so, I received a, a couple of lights from police security flashlights. Now, one of them is interesting because it's a morph removable. Basically, I, I wear it around my head. It's, it's, it's a headlamp but it's got a removable light on it. I've never worn a headlamp before. So my first experience wearing one was doing a bearing change and I didn't have to hold a flashlight. It was around my head. I had both my hands free. So I'm on board with the, uh, with the headlamps. So, I mean, police security flashlights sent this one out to me. So if if you want to check them out online, go ahead and do so. They got some cool lights available. I'm going to be setting up a podcast and doing this with with John Broughton from Dan Foss. Now, John's been on the podcast before, and we talk cold rooms, but we're going to talk them again in, in, in a sort of a different way. Now, John's really knowledgeable when it comes to cold rooms slash walk-in boxes, and Dan Foss has a YouTube channel be- called um, Dan Foss Cool. Now, if, if you hit up that channel, you can see a bunch of John's videos discussing different aspects of cold rooms. Super intelligent guy, and you can learn a lot if you want to learn more about walk-in boxes or cold rooms as they tend to call them in Britain or or Europe. True Tech Tools, guys, um, really awesome, really awesome place online to buy tools. They're trying to educate, not only sell tools, but trying to educate on tools and best practices. And they've made affiliations with many different people in the industry that are doing some good things. So 8% off your purchase with True Tech Tools. Uh, That's always available for anybody using code know-it-all except for fluke and fleer and guys supco supco has their trade fox lineup which is tool tools invented by technicians and the first one that started it off was the the attic pro now i kind of want to get a hold of one of these even though i don't do residential and do a demo in my own sort of attic my uh my attic is in my my closet in my bedroom so if, if I pop up there, my kids want to see what it looks like in there. So I think there's a good chance to kill two birds with one stone. Let my kids see what's up in the attic and hook up the Attic Pro 
and try to lift something up into the attic. I think it would be a cool little experiment, something to do with the kids, um, with my boys on a Sunday so they can see how it works and stuff like that. Anyway, check that out. And if you're in the market to bring an invention to market, um, Trade Fox is doing that. You send your ideas to ideas at subcotradefox.com. Let's get back to the podcast. Okay, Tony, so we're going to talk about hydronic commissioning. And thank you very much, by the way, for sending me over some sort of pointers that we can kind of talk through. And should we tell everybody that you uh, that you put your, your son to the task as well and, and got him involved? <laughs> um, yeah, my, my son is, a, is an engineer as well. And um, somehow, somewhere along the line, um, I managed to coerce him into becoming a mechanical engineer, and I'm not quite sure how I did that. And let me kill the background noise. Um, but um, he worked for the same consulting engineering. He works for the same consulting engineering firm that I worked for. And um, he started out when he was in high school, actually. He's been there 16 years now. He's now in his early 30s. And he was the office grunt, worked his way up through He's uh, now a mechanical engineer and decided he didn't like doing design. So now he's actually a commissioning agent for them. Um, so he's having a lot more fun. He's out in the field uh, and going out and actually looking at systems and figuring out what works, what doesn't work, and guiding the contractors to get things to work the way the design team actually designed them. Because um, that's what it's all about, and that's that's what commissioning is all about: is making sure that the owner gets what they paid for. Yeah, I, I agree. And the reason I asked you about that, your your son, is because both of you have so much experience, and you guys put this kind of list together. So it's it's a good list, and and I went through, and I'm like, yeah, these are these are really good points. So I think we should start off with the first one, and. Okay the most basic one of all before we begin that we should answer is what is commissioning? Like what, what is it? Well, commissioning in and of itself is a systematic process of looking at the system and not just the individual components. Okay. Not just looking at the pumps, not just looking at the chiller, not just looking at the boiler, but looking at the system as a whole. So the pumps, the chiller, the boilers, the air handlers, the VAV boxes, the automatic temperature controls, all the interconnecting piping, all the valves, everything is a complete system. You know, we all know that pumps take electrical energy, turn them into rotational mechanical energy, which turns it into, which imparts kinetic energy to the water. Okay. That's, you know, that's what a pump does. Well, there's more to that pump. You know, it's, the piping system that it's connected to, because if I just set a pump in a room, it can't do anything. It's got to be connected to piping and that piping has to be filled with water and the system has to be filled to a certain cold fill static pressure uh, to get water all the way to the top of the building. And so commissioning is that process of looking at the entire system as a whole and making sure everything works together as a cohesive system, not just little islands of equipment. Yes, makes sense. Because if something isn't working in the mechanical room, it might affect something up in the penthouse type thing, right? It, Everything's it, exactly. So yeah. if you if you think about it, you know, let's think about a a chiller. Okay, chillers are typically designed for. 55 degree return water, 45 degree supply water uh, on the chilled water side and 85, 95 on the condenser side. And they're designed for a certain water, you know, water volume to be going through the chiller at any given time. Well, if we decrease the water flow through the chiller, the delta T is going to increase because we're not necessarily transferring the same amount of energy. As we start to move those delta T's up and down and we start to move the amount of water we're moving through the machine, we start to change the lift profile of the compressor. And as the lift profile of the compressor changes, we start to change the energy input. So if the chiller was designed and selected at 0.5 kW per ton at full load, if we don't have the right water flows, that 
chiller may use 0 0.53, 0 0.55, 0 0.6 kW per ton. So now instead of that machine operating at its optimum efficiency point, now it's going to use more electricity, which costs the owner money long term for the life of the building until somebody figures out, hey, wait a minute, we don't have the right water flow going through that machine. It's not behaving correctly. It's not producing the right number of tons of refrigeration. Mm -hmm. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. So that being said, when, when does the process of commissioning begin? Does it begin um, well before the, the, the day you, you go to start the machine up? Oh, yes, very yeah. much so. So in, in the commissioning process, if I look at the ASHRAE guidelines for commissioning, there are two guidelines, ASHRAE guideline zero and guideline one, that talk about the commissioning process. Commissioning actually starts during the design phase of the building. Ideally, it's the commissioning agent is in place from the day that design starts. So the first thing that a designer really is going to do is write a design intent document, which is a design narrative that the engineer, the architect, and the owner are going to agree on. This is what the system's supposed to do. Now, it could be as detailed as say, you know, I want train chillers and I want Armstrong pumps and I want uh, automated logic temperature control system. Or it could be a little bit more generic depending on what the owner's preferences are. So that design narrative sets up all the conditions. You know, we're going to design for 74 degrees in the space at 50% RH and in, in the summertime, and we're going to design for 70 degrees heating temperature. And we're going to maintain, you know, between 25 and 45% relative humidity in the space. And we're going to do so much outside air. And it may talk about the different types of equipment they're going to design around. Is it a water source heat pump system? Is it hot water, chilled water? Um, so the design intent document is a narrative and the engineer is going to write that narrative to explain in non-engineering speak what he's going to design for the owner. Mm -hmm. um, then once that document is written, they start the design process. And as they work through the design process, the commissioning agent's going to get involved. And typically it's about the 50% DD stage and 50% DD means 50% design development. So you're about halfway done with the design. You've got a pretty good layout of the piping and the ductwork, and, you know, the architect's pretty well done morphing the building around and moving walls and doing all the wonderful things that architects do to buildings. And the commissioning agent's going to start looking at the design. And he's looking at that point, he's looking at constructability, you know, and, and, when you look at constructability is, can you really put that pipe where you've got it shown? You know, I, I've been in buildings, you know, worked on, on designs where I sat down with a design engineer and going, you've got an 18 inch pipe running down this hallway. But when I look at the architectural drawings, the architectural drawings tell me that there's only 12 inches of ceiling space. We have a problem. You can't fit an 18 inch pipe in a 12 inch ceiling space. I haven't figured out how to make oval pipe yet. <laughs> you know, yeah. ductwork, it's a little bit easier. Ductwork, I can make it wide and flat, but pipe is pipe and it's round and it's heavy and it's steel and it doesn't, it doesn't move. So part of the commissioning process is looking at the system and looking at for constructability issues. Um, it's not so much looking for conflicts. Okay. We're not looking for, you know, conduit and piping crossing each other, or running into each other. That's a whole different process that the contractor is responsible for. This is really looking at constructability issues. It's looking at the spec documents and looking at what's shown on the drawings. Do the specs and the documents match? Are there details that are missing? You know, if you, if you think about the set of construction documents, the construction documents are the plans and the specifications. They're not mutually exclusive. They are combined. So if you think about it this way, um, this is probably my best analogy. If I ask you to make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, are you going to make it the way I want it made so that I want to eat it? Or are you going to make it the way you want it made so you want to eat it? And if we don't talk, 
you don't know necessarily what I want. You know, how much peanut butter do I want? How much jelly do I want? Do I want you, white you want bread? Crust, do I want, you want, yeah. you want the crust cut off? <laughs> exactly. So when I look at this and, and when I used to, I used to teach quite a bit for engineers and contractors and, and all that. I still teach just not quite the same way I used to. Um, one of my favorite classes to teach is I'd walk into the classroom and I'd have a cooler and a couple grocery bags sitting there and I'd look at my students and I'd go, okay, guys, I got an interesting project for you. Write down the instructions on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I said, you got five minutes. And they'd you know, write their instructions down. And then I'd pick them up and I'd say, okay, now we're going to have some fun. I'm going to do whatever you told me to do on the paper. And I'd pull one out. And the first one I pull out is, you know, it's usually put peanut butter on bread. Okay. So I'd put the loaf of bread on top of the desk and I'd take the jar of peanut butter and I'd set the jar of peanut butter on top of the loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah. Now, granted, that's a little bit extreme, but at the end of the day, if the drawings and the specifications have those kind of errors in them, what's the contractor supposed to do? The contractor's going to go, okay, I'll pu I put the peanut butter on top of the bread. Yeah, I agree with you because everybody kind of they, they 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 look at something and everybody sort of sees their own way. Like someone could see put the peanut butter on top of bread and just automatically think of getting a knife and put it out. And like you said, just put the the jar on top. Everybody has their their own sort of way they're going to think, right? So if you don't lay it out step by step for everybody is basically a, a written process that anybody can understand, then there's going to be mistakes. Exactly. And so the commissioning agent is there to help facilitate that a little bit and make sure that what the engineer writes is something that everybody can build. I've, I've been on numerous construction sites over my career that I look at it and I'm going, Mr. Engineer, is that what you really meant to have happen? And you look at it and you shake your head and you talk to the engineer and go, and he goes, no, that's not really what I envisioned it to be. Well, you didn't provide enough details, so you get what you get. And so part of that commissioning process is to help fix that at the front end. From a design perspective, it's much easier to fix it when it's words on a piece of paper and lines on a drawing. Because I can move the lines around. I can fix the words much easier and much less expensive than asking the contractor to fix it after he's already put it in the air. You know, 12 inch pipe when it's hanging from the ceiling is not fun to move when you got to take it down, move it three feet over and put it back up again, especially if it's welded pipe, because now there's significant cost involved in moving that pipeline. So I, I kind of see that a commissioning, a com commissioning agent is like a, almost like a guardian angel to the, the contractor because you, you know, as well as I do, it's like contractors and engineers. It's always, it's your fault, my fault. <laughs> it's a, it's all like, it's, it's all about the, the finger game pointing at each other. Right. Exactly. So the commission agent, he's in the middle or she's in the middle and it kind of it's it's almost like a, a moderation job between the two and, and i think that's that's great right it's almost like um you have techs in the field you have the owner in the office and you have the service manager in between that can re understand both sides and relay both messages accordingly this is the kind of the way i'm seeing it in my head it is and in the commissioning agent he's not really supposed he's not really a moderator so to speak but he's there because he's usually hired by the owner mm -hmm. and He's hired by the owner to look out for the owner's best interest, not necessarily as an owner's agent, but more from a technical representative to be able to interpret engineer and contractor, you know, because one speak in Spanish and one speak in Russian. And how do I how do I interpret between the two and get them both to meet in the middle and provide me a system that's going to work and that I'm not going to have problems with? that I'm not going to have high energy bills and that my people in the building are going to be comfortable year round, whether it's 95 degrees or minus five degrees. Gotcha. So I guess to, to the next point of that, we've kind of answered that. Um, one of the points that you had written in your email is, isn't startup commissioning. 
I mean, so obviously we, we've, we've covered that. It's not just about startup. It's about going well beyond the startup and, and coming into that startup, right? Yes. So startup is an integral part of commissioning because if you don't start the equipment up and get it started up correctly, you can't commission something that's never been started up correctly. So normally the commissioning agent is going to work with whoever the startup agency is, whether it's the installing contractor, whether it's, you know, the train or the carrier coming out to start up the chiller, or it's, you know, Cleaver Brooks to start up the boiler. The commissioning agent is going to work with that startup guy or that startup company and make sure, hey, I need copies of all your startup forms. And oh, by the way, I need you to verify that all the safeties work. Here's the checklist that I want you to use, you know, to check and test every one of the safeties to make sure that they work. Make sure that your equipment is installed exactly the way your installation manual says it's supposed to be. So if you tell, you know, boiler manufacturer, they say, I have to have one PSI of gas pressure ahead of the, ahead of the regulator. Part of that checklist is going to be Mr. Startup Guy, I want you to verify that there's one PSI of gas pressure ahead of that regulator. And if it isn't, okay, then we need to talk to the contractor and go, what's going on? Why? And so part of the commissioning process is documentation. It's not just walking around the building looking at all this stuff, but it's documenting all of your findings and documenting that the startup was done correctly and things that weren't done correctly or couldn't be done at the time, you know, it's tough to start up a chiller when it's 10 below zero outside because it's tough to have load. So sometimes you have to say, okay, yeah, you can get the chiller running, but you're not really going to test the chiller because you're not going to have any load. So we're going to do that at a different time of the year. Um, same with the boiler. Who wants to turn a boiler on and start a boiler up and heat a building up when it's 95 degrees outside? It's already hot in the building. Yeah, exactly. So part of that commissioning process, it's, it's the documentation. It's making sure that everything gets done and validating and verifying that things get done. And paperwork is absolutely positively critical. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, for sure. And, and year, years after that too, because I've, I've been on sites where uh, somebody did a good job commissioning. They, there's checklists in the mechanical room, like the original, uh, pressure difference across the pumps and uh the amp draws of each fan on the chiller and stuff like that and you, you go look at it and you go wow it's good to have this information as a reference point right to right to, to go back to well a, a good example of that is you know we're seeing more and more chilled water systems where they know they have to have cooling in cooler weather Okay, so instead of turning the chiller off, you know, it used to be we turned the chiller off at 55 degrees outside and, you know, okay, you don't need air conditioning below that. Well, today's modern buildings, we need air conditioning at cooler and cooler outdoor air temperatures. So what we've started doing is we're seeing water side economizers where we use the cooling towers, run it through a plate and frame heat exchanger, chilled water goes through the other side of the plate and frame heat exchanger, and we make chilled water without actually turning the chillers on. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're not there at the time of startup, to record the pressure drops on both sides of the heat exchanger on the, on the hot side and the cold side and know what those pressure drops are and what the approach temperatures are. You can't tell five years down the road, whether that heat exchanger is really doing what it's supposed to do. You can't tell that the plates are getting fouled. It's, it's not like a shell and tube condenser, you know, like the condenser barrel on a chiller where you can pull the heads and you look in the tubes and go, wow, the tubes are dirty. Well, with, a plate and frame with, you know, a plate and frame. I don't know if you've ever taken one apart, but that's a bunch of, it's a bunch of work. I mean, time you, you know, break the bolts loose and you spread the plates out and it, it, that's a lot of work and it's not a difficult job, but if you're doing it and you're measuring the pressure drop all the time, when the pressure, when the heat exchanger is running, then you can figure out, Hey, wait a minute, when we get to be summertime and I can take this plate and frame off the line because I'm running the chillers, now you've got the records to say, yeah, it's time to take that thing down and take it down during the summer when you're not going to adversely affect the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And I've never taken apart a plate frame heat exchanger before, but I mean, I see, I see them all the time, but it, it makes sense to what you're saying mm -hmm. during commissioning. If there's notes on what 
what it's supposed to be, now you have a reference point going forward and you can see any degradation in, in that specific part or pump or whatever it is. Right. So exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So, so what about, since this, this is sort of like a, a hydronics type commissioning sort of chat, what, what about test and balance? How does that fit into commissioning? It is an integral part of the commissioning because I can't verify that the chiller is producing design tons. So, so let's say that I had to have 500 GPM on the evaporator and 750 GPM on the condenser for that machine to produce 300 tons of cooling. Um, and if the test and balance guy hasn't verified that I have the right water flow through the evaporator and through the condenser, that chiller is never going to produce the right tons. So you can't commission a piece of equipment that isn't properly set up. Mm -hmm. And so part of the commissioning process and part of the test and balance process goes to, you know, depending on how your pumps are being controlled. So, you know, we use a lot of pumps that are sensorless control. So they don't require a differential pressure transmitter out in the building to tell them what speed to run at. Well, if we have a complex piping system where we have differential pressure transmitters out in the building that are telling us, hey, you need to maintain a 10 PSID differential at wherever the transmitter is located it, it's up to the test and balance contractor to say, okay, I need my pump to be running at 82% to achieve that differential at whatever the design flow rate is. So that's, that's critical to the commissioning process to make sure you got the white water flows everywhere. And, you know, the commissioning agent isn't going to do that. The test and balance agent's going to do that. But it's imperative that the commissioning agent know what the test and balance guy is doing and is observing what he's doing so that he knows everything is done the way it's supposed to be. So he can validate, yep, I checked, I watched the man do it or the woman, and I I validated his readings. I saw him take the readings. I know they're correct. Um, and it's all part of that process of documentation and verification that everything is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. The other thing that that helps is, like you said, you come into the building, you're the service guy, and you come in two years after the building was built and something's not working correctly. They complain that, oh man, we're not getting enough cooling out here at Air Handler 27. Well, if you look at the test and balance report, and you look at the commissioning report and it says, hey, I'm supposed to have a 10 PSID differential at that spot where that air handler at. And you go out there and look and go, oh, wow, I don't have 10 PSID out here. Wonder what's wrong. And you start checking, you find out maybe the pressure transmitter went bad. And so it's not reading correctly. So it can't tell the pump where it needs to run. The pump's just sitting there running and doesn't know what the pressure really is in the system. If you don't have that information as a service guy, you're just guessing. And how much time are you going to spend chasing around to figure out what it's supposed to do? Oh, I, I, I completely agree. And there's buildings out there that were never commissioned properly that just that there's lots of band-aids that get put on over and over and over because for the, the system to get recommissioned again could be astronomical and in, in, in the amount of money that it would cost to, to do so and fixes and changes and stuff like that. And customers are like, okay, 500 bucks, yeah, do that. Or 800 bucks, do that. And it just keeps, these band-aids just keep compiling. Like I can think of a customer of, my, customer of mine where they have a ton of um, rooftops on the roof and a ton of zones. And these zones are, were commissioned by a controls company, but they don't run correctly. There's, there's not the correct airflow. There's, there's not this, there's not that when it comes to airflow and it causes a lot of problems with, with the machines. And I, and I've told them tons of times, you have to get that controls company back in here and start reprogramming some of this stuff to, to create better airflow timing on first and second stage cooling and heating. And there's, there's all kinds of problems and they never call them back in. It's just, they'll go onto the, one of the guys has access to the controls and he knows a little bit and he'll go on and he'll write a line of code that kind of band-aids the problem. 
right? But it doesn't actually fix the entire issue. So yeah, these if the commissioning is, is so important, if it's not done right, it comes back to haunt you later. And and I wanted to just say for the guys out there that don't do hydronics, it's like if you don't for tests and balance, I'm talking, if you don't set your airflow up properly on a rooftop, going to commission the heating and the cooling on it is almost pointless if you don't have the correct airflow. I just wanted to kind of equate that to your your like hydronics uh, tests and balance sort of thing, just so they can get an idea. Oh no, that that's that's a great idea, and 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 the reality is everything we talk about on commissioning, you know, we're we're talking about hydronics in particular, um, and and focusing on a lot of the things you have to do with the hydronic side. But at the end of the day, everything we do from a commissioning perspective applies to any kind of system. You know, commissioning is a systematic process of knowing what's supposed to happen and validating and verifying that it happens. And that involves, you know, not only the design documents, but it also involves having the control sequences, both what the engineer said he wanted and what the controls contractor said he was going to do, because sometimes those don't always match. Um, That's a kind of a sort of a different discussion because controls contractors, a lot of them take the engineer specifications and the engineer specification says, you will do this, you will do this, you will do this. And the controls contractor changes all the wills to shalls and regurgitates the exact same verbiage back to him. And the controls contractor says, I shall do this, I shall do this, I shall do this, I shall do this. And um, at the end of the day, that may not necessarily be all the pieces parts that are required to make the system work. And so part of that commissioning process is reading through the control sequence that the engineer wrote, reading through the control sequence, the contractor wrote and going, you know, let's say the contract, let's say this, the control sequence comes back and it says he's going to control the leaving tire water temperature. And you're looking at the draw at the controls drawings and you're looking at the controls drawings and you're looking and you go, how are you going to control the leaving tower water temperature when there's no leaving tower water temperature sensor? Yep. <laughs> That'd now, be difficult. <laughs> at, at, at the end of the day, let's say, you know, the controls contractor comes back and says, well, the engineer didn't show one in his drawings, but the engineer told you you had to control the leaving tower water. Well, but he didn't tell me you had to put sensor in. No, he didn't tell you you had to put sensor in. But he also didn't tell you you had to get up out of bed in the morning. So, you know, Provide the pieces, parts that you need to make the system work. When you bid the job, you were supposed to read the specifications and you should have known, hey, I'm going to have to put a temperature sensor in there because I got to read that leaving tower water temperature. Um, Same thing applies to air handlers. If you're going to control leaving air temperature off of a coil, understanding that if the engineer says control the leaving air temperature off the heating coil and then control the leaving air temperature off of a cooling coil, that's two different coils. That means that's two different temperature transmitters, not one. <laughs> so it's it's looking at those things and understanding how controls work and thinking about the logic process of what has to happen to make something work. Yeah. it's Yeah. Everybody's got to play their part. I, I agree with you on that. So as far as we, we covered a lot here and, and I don't know now that I'm going to ask you this question. I don't know if there is one. What is the most important part of commissioning? Um, I asked my son this very same question because um, I wanted to get his opinion of what he thought the most important part was. Because um, what I think is the most important part and what he thinks is the most important part are actually two different answers. Um, and both of them are right. That's the funny part. Both of them are right. Oh, it's like a, a multiple... Uh, what do you get? Multiple choice test. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you have more than and, one and, right answer. Choose the most correct. Well, and in this case, neither one is more correct or less correct. They're both really, really critical components. And so one of the things that I look at is the documentation process is documentation and prove, you know, having all the documentation of everything that you tested, every sequence, every set point, you know, everything in the system, because with that documentation, 
every couple of years, you know, if you're servicing this building for the owner, you could work it out with the owner that, hey, look, every couple of years, I'm going to go through and make sure everything is still running at the set points it's supposed to. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, we talked about the, the differential pressure transmitter for the water, for the pumps. Okay. Well, if you know it's supposed to be set at 10 PSI and all of a sudden the pumps aren't doing what they're supposed to do and you look at the BIS and go, huh, that transmitter is only reading 5 PSI, but it's not ramping the pump up. Is it the transmitter or is it, did somebody do something goofy and change the set point? You know, so by having that record, you know what the set points were supposed to be and you can return them back to that and go, hey, wow, wait a minute, it's working again. Put the set point back where it's supposed to be. You know as well as I do, maintenance guys can be your best friend and they can be your worst enemy. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, it was worse than the days of pneumatics where there was knobs in the control panel and they could turn this knob and turn that knob. And, you know, those were, those were painful days. Um, today, it's a little bit different because it's all buttons on a computer and they change set points. And I don't know what I did, but magically it quit working the day they messed with stuff. I, I call those guys, they, well, I, I don't have a name for them, but I sort of have a one-liner. They know enough to be dangerous. And um, it's been proven true to me with a lot. I had this one maintenance guy that he was notorious for going down into mechanical rooms and, and playing with high limit switches on boilers. And oh. I go do the maintenance and the high limit switches would be turned all the way up. And I'm like, what are you guys, what are you doing? He's like, well, the, the boiler wasn't running as, as well. So I thought if I turned that up, it would run warmer and it started to run warmer. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's probably just in your head, man, because that's not what that does. And yeah. you shouldn't be touching the high limit switch on the boiler, but he would do this constantly over and over and over. And, and I caught him a bunch of times and um, I told him, don't touch this again. Like you can't. You cannot do it. Anyway, so I, I, I feel you on the maintenance guys. So the the other most important thing, um, and and I don't want to say second most important because it's really not. They're they're both equally important. Um, and my son brought this one up to me. Uh, is that when we when 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 he runs a commissioning job, he brings the controls contractor together, the mechanical contractor, and the design engineer. And they have a meeting of the minds when they talk about the control sequences and they get everybody to agree in the same room and they all sign the, and he calls it, he calls it a coordination meeting. And that's what it is. You're basically coordinating everybody working together. Um, and he gets everybody to sign off that, okay, this is the final agreed upon document of the sequences. So Mr. Controls contractor, now's your time to ask the engineer, you know, I didn't understand this paragraph in your spec. What do you mean by that? Um, I'll share. I'll share a story with you. It's not really chilled water related, but it is kind of chilled water related. Um, I was working for the engineering firm, and um, I got a call from a school district in Eastern Ohio that the engineering firm had designed the HVAC system for, and they go. We don't know what's wrong. The building's brand new. I mean, they've only been in the building a few months and they go, we don't know what's wrong. The chillers are running, just everything's running full capacity. We don't know what's going on. We can't cool the building down. It's hot in here. It's humid. It's sticky. And we got problems and we don't know why. And the controls guy's been here multiple times and he's going, no, oh, it's designed wrong. And the contractor and everybody's, you know, everybody's, it's the, it's the giant, you know, stand around in a circle and point fingers at everybody else because nobody wants to figure out what's going on. So I go out there and I walk in and I walk into a hornet's nest. I'm getting beat up from everybody under the sun because they're all blaming the engineer. And so I'm looking at the air handlers and I'm standing there looking and looking and going, hmm. I looked at the controls contractor and I said, why aren't the heat recovery wheels running? And he looks at me and goes, what's a heat recovery wheel? If we're in air conditioning, we're not, you know, we don't need heat re right now. And I go, <laughs> I go, no. I said, 
it is an energy recovery wheel. He goes, yeah, but your spec says it's a heat recovery wheel. I said, okay, let me explain something to you. There's two components in air. There's sensible heat and there's latent heat. And I said, sensible heat's the heat I can feel. You know, if I turn the burner on the stove and I stick my hand on it, it's hot. Yeah, I can feel that. That's sensible heat. Wasn't sensible to put my hand on it, but it's sensible heat. I said, latent heat's the humidity in the air. And I said, that's the invisible heat. We can't measure it directly, but we know it's there. We can feel it and we can measure the relative humidity and we know how much moisture is there, but that's latent heat. And he goes, well, you just don't know what you're talking about. I said, okay, well, we're standing in a room and there's two air handlers in this room that are both about the same size. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll bet I'm right. I'm bet I'm right. And you're wrong. And I said, here's how we're going to prove it. I said, I'm going to turn the heat wheel on in this air handler and we're going to leave that one off. So I walk over to the heat wheel and turn it into hand. Heat wheel comes on. And I said, now we're going to watch the chill, the leaving air temperature on this air handler. And we watch it. And in about 15 minutes, you can see the leaving air temperature just taking a nosedive. And the chilled water valve starts to go closed and everybody's happy. And the school district's looking at me going, you're the smartest guy in the room. And I go, not really. I just know what it's supposed to do. <laughs> and the controls the guy looked at me and went, well, I still don't think you're right. I go, okay, yeah, you can think all you want, but you're wrong. I'm right. I'm the engineer. Fix it. And, um, you know, I hate using that line that I'm the engineer and I said so, but sometimes it's just appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> and so the school district's like, what are we going to do though? In, until he can get it fixed. I said, just go around and turn all the heat wheels to hand and they'll run and they'll be happy and they'll do what they need to do. And your building will cool and everybody will be happy. And they did. And that took care of the problem. And the controls contract came, contractor came back and fixed his control logic. But it was just one of those things that the controls guy thought, what's a heat wheel? I don't need it if I'm not heating. Yeah, you and, know what? I, sorry, go, go on. I thought you were done. Go on. Yeah. So, you know, you think about that and, and it's something as simple as the word heat. You know, you've been in this business a long time. I've been in this business a long time. We both understand latent heat, sensible heat. Mm-hmm. And, and we know, because we've worked on heat wheels, we've seen what they do. We understand that a heat wheel does more than just heat. <laughs> it's latent and sensible both. But a controls guy, it never registered with him. You know, that, that it did, that there was more to heat than just boilers. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we're just exchanging heat. I mean, that's heat. Heat is in the air, whether it's cold or it's hot relatively to each other, there's still heat in the air and it's just exchange, mm -hmm. exchanging it. Um, but I, I was going to say the best controls guys that I, I know understand um, heating, air conditioning, ventilation, and refrigeration um, just as much as they understand controls. Because if you don't understand the fundamentals of, of HVAC and, and refrigeration, you're not going to be as good a controls tech as, as you could be. And, and that's probably what the deal was with, with, with the guy you were talking to. He just didn't understand, um, the properties of thermal dynamics and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's, that's, that's his fault. <laughs> he should, he should know that stuff if he's controlling HVAC systems. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have in 40 plus years, I've got all kinds of horror stories of things that were done wrong from controls, from installation. And, and we could talk for hours upon hours upon hours about just horror stories of things that I've seen done wrong. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to go down that pathway cause that's a rabbit hole that. Oh yeah. We'll never get out of it. <laughs> you, you we'll know. never get out of it. <laughs> um, you know. But that that's a that's a that's a discussion for a future podcast. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd welcome that. Um, so I got two more questions for you. Okay. One one is is from your notes, and and one is not from your notes. Okay. Um, and you can answer these. I probably retro because I was going to ask you retro commissioning, and then there's decommissioning, which is which is also a a topic that we should cover. So which one should go first, retro or or decommissioning? Well, let's start with retro commissioning. Okay. Um. So retro commissioning, you know, we have we have commissioning, which is when a building is brand new. It's never been tested. It's never been commissioned. It's everything's brand new, 
and you have no idea what, I mean, you have an idea of what it's supposed to do, but you're looking for initial construction type issues, programming issues, those kind of things. And, and you're going to go through that whole verification process. Then there's recommissioning and recommissioning is the building was commissioned when it was built. And so, you know, Gary, I'm the building owner, Gary, Hey, I need you to recommission my building. Here's the original commissioning documentation, all the tests that they did, everything that they, you know, verified. I want it redone. We're five years down the road. I know that there's been temperature, there's been sensor drift, there's been, you know, sensors age and they get off calibration on that. So Gary, I'm going to pay you to come in and recommission my building back to what it was when it was built brand new. Okay. So, you know, you're being the good service guy, you're going to go, okay, you know, it's $200 an hour and I'll be here for a month and this is what I'm going to do. Um, so that's recommissioning. Retro commissioning, however, is the building that was built 10, 15, 20 years ago. The owner knows he's got a problem. He knows he's got high energy bills. He knows that parts of his building aren't comfortable. And he's had Harvey Thompson's Storm Door and Air Conditioning Company coming out working on his building. And they've band-aided this and they've band-aided that. And he's finally fed up. He's like, I'm done. I'm tired of this. I got to get my building fixed because I'm losing tenants. I'm losing customers. You know, it's a... It's a shopping mall. It's a restaurant. You know, I'm losing customers because things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And so retro commissioning is he's going to hire you. You're going to look at all the data you've got and you may have plans. You may have specifications. You may not. You may have to figure it out as you go as to how it's supposed to work. And you're going to look at everything. You're going to look at the outside air dampers. You're going to look at the chilled water coils. You're going to look at the condition of the coils. Um, you're going to look at water flows. You're going to look at the pumps and you're going to make a list of all the deficiencies that you find. And then you're going to sit down with that owner and negotiate a price to fix it. Now, depending on what part of the world you're in, what part of the country you're in, um, there may be rebate dollars available from the local utility. Um, I know a lot of the local utilities uh, in, in New York right now, there's local law 97, um, which mandates carbon emissions that all buildings have to reduce their carbon emissions by a certain amount. And I don't remember the numbers exactly, but they have to do it by the year 2030. So they're fast approaching that 2030 mark. And if they don't, they get penalized. I mean, there's some big fines if they don't get there. So the local utility has different rebate programs that will pay building owners to have, have a third party come in and do retro commissioning on their building, figure out what they got to do to improve the energy efficiency of the building. Is it putting variable speed pumps in? Is it, hey, you know, your chillers are 20 years old and they're not bad chillers. They haven't quite reached the end of their useful life because normally, you know, you try to get 30 years out of a chiller. But if I replace that chiller now, I can reduce your energy cost by X number of dollars because I've looked at your utility bills and I've calculated out how much your chillers use. And if I put new ones in, this is how much they're going to save. They're going to save, you know, three cents a KW or five cents a KW. Um, if that machine's using a half a million KWs a year in energy, and you can save it, you know, you can trim, trim 3% off of that or 5% off of that. That's a big bucks. Um, so that's what retro commissioning is. Retro commissioning is looking at it to improve the energy efficiency and bring it back to some level. Gotcha. Okay. Decommissioning. Um, and decommissioning, we hear more of that with the military um, or specialty kind of places. And decommissioning is basically you're going to go through the entire system and take it back to what it was before it was built. Okay. Okay. So, you know, um, I'm going to decommission the chiller. 
Okay. So I'm going to salvage what parts I can off of that machine that are uh, recyclable, maybe. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take all the refrigerant out of it, you know, because one, the EPA says I have to, because um, we can't just dump it to the atmosphere, um, which we used to be able to do when I first started. We just dumped it and didn't worry about it. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't say that was smart. I just said that's what, you know, that's, <laughs> the, you know, come on. It was, the, it, you know, it was, you know, a long time ago. The good um, old days. Yeah, before we knew there was a hole in the atmosphere and, yeah. and all that. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're going to recover all the oil. And, you know, now I've got this chiller that I've got all the oil out of it. I've got all the refrigerant out of it. And now what am I going to do? Okay, well, you know, if I, sh I should recycle all of that. Well, there's, you know, a couple of different things you can do. Do you cut it up and take the tubes out of it and recycle the copper separately and recycle the steel separately? Or do you hire somebody that's going to come in and haul the entire thing away? Um, there's a couple of different ways to do that. But that decommissioning process is making sure that it's rendered safe so that it can go to a recycling yard and it's not going to do anything to harm the environment by being recycled. Gotcha. Um, you know, when we, re when we decommission air conditioners, you know, split systems, um, we want to take all the capacitors out of them. We want to take the oil out, get the oil out of the compressor. You know, of course, we take the refrigerant out because you kind of have to because you're going to cut the line sets loose. But, you know, you don't want to send anything to the scrapyard that has the potential to contaminate the environment. So that's the decommissioning process. Um, you know, when the military does it, they, you know, they take all of the classified top secret stuff off the ship. So, you know, if they have all their radar equipment and things like that, that is high tech that they don't want foreign governments to know, that's the stuff they take off there, the technology that they wouldn't want anybody else getting to. Um, when they decommission a ship and they sell it to somebody else, it's pretty much a Hulk. <laughs> There's not yeah. much left. Gotcha. So it's it's not as fun decommissioning as it is commissioning. <laughs> um, depends on your point of view and what yeah, exactly. I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess. Dep yeah, if, if it's one of those buildings that's haunted you for thirty years and someone sends you in to decommission it, maybe that is a happy day. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, I finally get rid of this boiler. That yeah, that's right. Gave <laughs> me grief. Um, so it depends on your. You're right. It depends on your point of view and whether or not it's it's a happy day or not. Um, if you know you're going to decommission it to put all new equipment in and then get to commission it when it's all brand new, then it could be a good thing as well. Cause you're going to take it from what it was to what you know it can be. Um, and there, there's a certain degree of personal satisfaction in that. Um, you know, one thing we didn't talk about, you know, is we look at, we look at temperature controls and, you know, the temperature controls guys, um, they like everybody to think it's a black box and it's a mystery and, and all that. But it's really deconstructing their sequence of operation and making sure that you know what's supposed to happen. And that if it says, hey, the outside air damper is supposed to stroke to 50% open, does the outside air damper really stroke to 50% open? Or does the bypass valve for the chilled water system to maintain minimum flow through the chiller, does it really open to maintain the minimum flow through the chiller? Or does it just go 100% open and the flow just goes willy-nilly and you lose all control of your building. So commissioning is all about understanding those sequences and understanding what's supposed to happen in the building and how it's supposed to work and making sure it does. Um, because that's the only way we're going to get the energy efficiency where it needs to be. And in today's market, that is what we're really driving to is driving energy efficiency to the lowest total cost of ownership. And just like that, we, we started and stopped on, on the same note, energy efficiency and, and driving towards it. So Tony, that was awesome, man. Thank you very much for your time tonight. And I I've learned a ton and commissioning agent. I mean, I, I love that guy. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> he, he's, there, he's there to help. He really is. And, and Gary, if you think about it, and this is something that's kind of just, I'll plant this seed in your head. The commissioning agent can be your best friend. How many times have you gone back to a job 
or been involved in a job where the owner says, well, it's never worked right. But you got the commissioning paperwork there. It says right here, it was working just fine and dandy, Mr. Owner. And you signed off on the bottom line that you agreed that it was working just fine and dandy on that day. So don't blame Mr. Contractor, but it's never worked right. You signed off that it did. And we have the proof right here. Awesome. So, yep. Gary, it's been fun. I have really enjoyed that. This has been a lot of fun tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you and your audience have enjoyed this and gotten a lot out of this. I have. Uh, and, I, and I look forward to doing another podcast with you. This is fun. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's good times. It's, it's better when you crack a couple of beers during the podcast or whatever, whatever your taste is, a little whiskey or wine or something. <laughs> I will remember that for the next one because the next time I will have the I will have the Woodford Reserve sitting on the desk. All right, guys. Now we're well armed with commissioning, how how a system is commissioned on on a large scale, and commissioning agents and startup techs and engineers and decommissioning and retro commissioning. We've covered quite a bit of it there. So being being armed with this info gives us knowledge, and knowledge is power. And maybe you haven't ever done a commissioning like this, or maybe you never will. But one day you just might. And having a little bit of knowledge on the background and how this is done, the correct way it's done, is really important. And even just the stories that are told in between these things, they're, they're all teaching moments. They're all things that we can pull information from and learn little bits here and there. So. Thank you, Tony. Thank you very much for getting onto the podcast. I learned a lot. I hope you guys did too. Thanks again to the Master Group for the sponsorship of the podcast. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.